then, if you will, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to continue what we've been looking at and just kind of move along in that. We've been talking about Satan's church, and, uh, and really, I did that just as kind of talk really about the vehicle of, uh, that the adversary uses and how he has set up to carry out his lie program, uh, promote it, protect it, propagate it, you know, and, and move it along. In Ezekiel, it talks about him merchandising and trafficking and so forth, and we'll get into all that and we'll look at it. And, and really, uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse number 6 is where we've kind of launched from, and we'll do this over uh, the next several uh, weeks, months, years, days. It's good to know this. It's good to understand this, uh, because when you look around the world today and when you look around what's happening you may go, oh no, oh my goodness, look at, and, and yet when you begin to understand why things are happening the way they are and what's transpiring, then you cannot maybe be so overwhelmed or really shocked and just say, okay, it is what it is, this is that, this is this, and move forward. First Timothy 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things... Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And, and again, the, these things that are we're to be remembered is in, starts in verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. So if you believe and you know the truth concerning the things about marriage and concerning the things about the dietary rules, then you won't be departing from the faith. And that's really the issue there in verse 1, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The issue is, is that the adversary has set up a system. We, I, I'm calling it church. If That's the vehicle to seduce, to pull you away from knowing and believing the word, the truth. Verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 5, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If he can move you away, if he can cause you to, to not do and be what you're supposed to do and be, then he's one, and he's got a system to do it. He's got a vehicle whereby he does this. You have to remember Satan, the adversary, the devil, the dragon, Lucifer, Leviathan. That, he's a created being. He can't be everywhere. Okay? So he's going to use a system. In Ephesians 2, Paul will call it the course of this world. But we live in a present evil world. So he's got a system here. C come over to 2, Timothy, or 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And again, we have to rem I, I, if I have to remind myself, so guess what? If I'm going to be a good minister, what am I going to do to you? Remind you. And really, this, you know, there was a day, even when I was growing up, that this stuff was commonly taught, commonly talked about, commonly understood. And today it isn't. 
Today, the, the new generations that are up, and even the old, and, and really it's because the older generations have failed to make this an issue, a topic of conversation, a topic of study, a topic of understanding that, hey, the adversary has a mechanism that he's going to use, a device that he's going to use with the design to pull you away from the truth. And he's going to do it. And it's religion. It, we saw it last time called Baal worship. It's, 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 it's got a city. And we're going to see it here in a minute. It's got colors. It's got male deity. It's got female deity. It's got all of this worship stuff. They've got, they've got uh, ephods, the, the priestly robes, long called vestments. They've got a teraphim. A teraphim is the thing that hangs around their neck. It's an aid for worship. They've got that, and by the way, it's all a counterfeit of Judaism, what God gave Israel. They counterfeit it, and again, they take it, and they turn the truth of God into a lie. They just, one tick off, and it's a lie. That's all it takes. 99.9% is right, but that 0.1% is all it takes for it to be not true. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11 and again, we're just jumping in, but Paul says, Let Satan, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We shouldn't be ignorant of how he operates and the push and why he does what he does. And, and we see that come over to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. We get an idea of that. Paul constantly... <laughs> He's bringing it up, and he's talking about it. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. What's he doing? What did he do with Eve? Yea, hath God said. And you know what? He didn't change the word drastically. He just changed one word. He just changed this. He, he caused Eve to doubt the word. Yea, hath God. Well, did God really say that? That's all he did. He didn't have to come up and invent. He just made her think about, question. And then she, she did the change, the adding, subtracting, and water. He, he just got her to think about it. He did one little thing, and boom, she was gone. It's interesting, in chapter 11, verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves, into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself shall be transformed into an angel of light. That's interesting. An angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. You know what he's doing? He uses men to do that. That's what he's, he's using religion. He's got a system. In Matthew 10, the Lord in the commission to the apostles, he says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and so forth. Beware of who? Men. Man's going to do, he, adversary is going to use men to do what? Come up and just tick it just a little bit and get you to fall for it, and get you to be moved away. And that's what he's after. 
That's the whole goal of it. The end of that religious system we looked at last time is called a simulation, where we just assimilate everything back under one God. One, every road leads back to God. Come over to Ephesians chapter 3. We said this last time, Ephesians 3. The thing about this is <laughs> it is comprehensible. We can know this. Ephesians 3.17, what did Paul say? Be not ignorant of his devices. Then that means what we can know something, can't we? 3.17, the apostle, oh, I'm in Philippians. Well, 3.17 in Philippians is pretty good. But four, three, Ephesians would be better. 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ isn't that wonderful? We're, we're able to know this. Come over to Colossians 2. We're able to see it. We're able to grasp it. We're able to constant, con, look at it and go, there it is, and identify it. That's what 3.17 of Philippians says. Mark them that walk according, right. Okay? Mark those that you know, identify it. Boom, right on it. Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. And look here at verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with what? Enticing words. What's he going to use? Enticing words. He's going to use words. What did he do with Eve? Yea, hath God said. He enticed her. Verse 8. Beware lest, Colossians 2.8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world. That's all human viewpoint. Why? Because it's not after Christ. Verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. There's religion. The relig all roads lead back. And then in verse 18, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of what? Wait a minute. What does is, what is Satan turn himself into? An angel of light. You know, he's not an angel. He's a cherub. An angel is someone who brings the message from, from the Lord. Cherub doesn't do that. Cherub gets the word and goes to work. The me so what is, he, what is he doing? I have a message from God for you. I have an extra-biblical message. Revelation. I saw a 10-foot Jesus at the end of my bed. And you know what happens? We take it hook, line, and sinker. By the way, keep reading verse 18. Intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Every new Bible, including the New King James, omits the hath seen. Hath, they, they, make, they take out the word not. And they say, hath seen. Wait a minute. So now we're talking what? Extra biblical. What did Satan do to Eve in the garden? He, he got her to add to the word, didn't he? He got her to subtract and water down and change. Do you know three times God tells his people, don't mess with the book? He does it in Deuteronomy, he does it in Proverbs, he does it over in the book of Revelation, and then he does it with you and I through Paul in 2 Corinthians 2. Don't mess with the book. And what are they doing? 
messing with the world. Why? Come over to Revelation 17. He's got a system. If he's going to draw away the saints of the Most High, then what does he have to do? He has to attack them where they're standing. And what, is it, what do we stand on? The Word of God. So we move it. And he's got that system. Revelation chapter 17. We've been here. We'll back in this. Verse 1. And there came out, out uh, one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying, Unto me, come hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with, with, with whom the kings of this earth hath committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So we've got a beast here. Okay, uh, and come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And so we have this system here. We, you've got a spiritual whore. This is all spiritual adultery. This is all spiritual fornication. The kings, what did they do? They've drunken of her wine of fornication, verse 5. And upon, uh, I'm sorry, verse 4. What is, uh, well, verse 3, might as well read it. So he carried me away in the spirit, in the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blaspheme, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hands, full of abomination and filthiness of her fornication. And it has to do, when we looked in Ephesians 5, and we're talking about the wine Last year, we went through all that about what Paul was really after, was that issue of drinking of that, that spiritual fornication and that religious system, that, that vehicle that the adversary has set up. And what did the kings do? They've come in and they've had fornication, intercourse with that religious system. They've amalgamated it. They've made it a part of everything, and they became drunk with it. And when you come drunk, you get desensitized to the things of God, and you get desensitized to what's real. And now you look over here and you think what's real, but yet it's what? It's not really real. It's just a, it's a device. It's a mechanism. She's identified in verse 5 for you. Upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery. Now, you've got to notice the commas, okay? Because this is her name, Mystery. Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and, the, and, and abominations of the earth. She's the source of all kinds of religious deception and activity. She reigns over the kings of the earth. If you look down there at verse 18, and the woman which thou sawest is that great city, and you go back in chapter 14 and verse 8, and that great city is called Babylon. And what does she do? She reigneth over the kings of the earth. She's, there's a rule here, a rulership. There's who's really running the show on the kings of the earth. Who's really running what's happening in the world today? It's not Republicans and Democrats. Sorry. It's not the Illuminati. It's not the Rothschilds, and I, I, I slipped their name, Van Gogh, Vanguards or whoever they are. I don't even remember it. Uh, you know? It isn't any of those people. It's who? It's this system right here. 
That's who's doing it. The real global deep state. The real global conspiracy. Isn't the election this or that? It isn't that at all. It's this stuff right here. That's why I said to you last time, the real stuff that matters to God isn't who's president or not. It's this stuff because its design is to carry the believer away. Think about that. Here's the real deal. If we're going to fight something, let's fight this. Because what's she doing? She reigns over the whole of the earth. The kings, the, the, the governmental structures. You, you look over at Colossians 1. That, that's the whole thing here. This morning I want you to grasp, get Colossians 1, is that the system that we're after and that we're going to be looking at, and, and again, I've just simply identified it as Satan's church for a lack of a better way of describing it right now. But the thing, and by the way, it probably won't change, so it's what it is. But the thing is, is when he says mystery, Babylon, mystery, Paul says that the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And everybody flips their lid and, ooh, well, you think about this. What, did she, what does the adversary do with Eve in the garden? Uh, there's something that God doesn't want you to know. The tree of the knowledge of what? Good and He said, don't eat of that one. You know why he said don't eat of that? He don't want you to know something. I know it. I have a mystery. I have a secret. Secret, secret, secret. And if you join me, then I'll let you in on it. We talked about this last year. When we talked about the ultimate plan and purpose. He says, I, and he, and Eve looks over there. He cast Eve's eye away from who she was in Christ to look at the angels going up and down and says, yeah, I want to be like them. God says, no, 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 that's not who you are. You know what religion does? You're spiritual Israel. You know what Paul says? No, you're not. What is, you replaced Israel. No, you didn't. And yet, what do we do? We go off in the covenant reform theology mess. And Paul's sitting over there going, come back, come back. And that's just a simple little thing here. You see, she reigns over. She's got a mystery formed her. There's some. If I said I got a secret, and I tell Tim, and I tell Tim, don't you tell anybody, and then all of you gang up on, because you know I ain't going to say a word, but everybody gangs up on Tim because he will? That, why do you go to Tim? Because he has a what? A secret. We want to know something. We want to know what everybody is knowing. That's why man's so worried about what everybody thinks about him. Because we, we got to know. Inquiring minds want to know. You remember when the inquirer was, oh my goodness, and now it's accepted journalism, <laughs> I guess. You know, see, you just, that's man. Man's curious, wants to know. So he takes that mystery form. The mother of, the source of it all, the harlots, the, the different systems out there. She reigns over the earth. She's that shadow government that works behind everything. 
in directing and controlling the course of this world. And I use those terms on purpose because that's what you have heard over the last couple years. That's what you still hear. But the real deal is this stuff. Look at Colossians 1. Look at verse 16. Colossians 1. You see, folks, well, verse 16. For by him, and that will be Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. There's God's government. There's God's governmental structure for the universe right there. He set it up. And you know what she's doing out there? And I say she, the, the, Satan, the adversary's vehicle, you know what she's doing? She's overthrowing that. And she's like, that's not, we're going to do in those positions, but we're going to do what I want done. Because, well, come back to Isaiah 14. The government, by the way, before you leave Colossians 1, all things were created by him and for him. You see, government had a purpose. The governmental, now go back to Isaiah 14. When God created the governmental structure of the universe, back in Genesis 1-1, when he set it all up, Amos 9, the stories in the heaven, we're gonna look, we'll look down through all this again. When he set it all up, it had a purpose. It had a plan. It had a reason. It's real. They're organized. They're there. They're there for a purpose. They were created by him and for him. That's their purpose. They're for him. He was going to put creatures in those positions out there who willfully and willingly and deliberately choose to worship and obey his word. And he fills it up and then someone falls. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 is a prophetic passage of the little flock, the believing remnant, out there at the end as the adversary is being cast off the last time into the lake of fire. And they are mocking him. They are reminding him in a mockery manner of what he said on day one. Verse 12, O Lucifer, Watch him. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did, notice, weakenest the nations? Wow, the nations were designed, government was designed to thrive. What did the adversarial plan do? It weakened them. They did what? They drank of that cup of golden cup over there. They drank of that religious system. They committed spiritual fornication. By the way, that's pretty stuff I kind of cringe to even talk about. That's how dirty this is. That's how gross this is. That's how disgusting this is. For the Lord, for the Holy Spirit to cause John to write fornication and adultery, that's how dirty, that's just, I got to go take a shower now. That's the issue here. Because it's not the way it's supposed to be. For thou hast said in thine heart, verse 13, I will ascend. See that? I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights and the clouds. I will be like the most high. Notice, he's got something's going on here. He's the son of the morning. God designed his creation. Notice he's son of the morning. God designed his creation to be run by sons, adults. Here he is. By the way, sons, adults, not robots. You know, not the, I, I was watching a thing this past week because the jobs report was coming out and how employees now are saying they don't want to go back to work in the office. So the employer is going to start canning them, firing them, because technology is there to do it. And they've got some Arby's or McDonald's or somewhere, somewhere in the world. And, you know, the whole store is automated. The robot bring, takes the order. The robot makes the food. The robot brings it to your table. The robot cleans up after. And it's, and it's not this, you know, clunky thing thrown away. It's pretty smooth looking. I'm like, Wow. Now, it's a testing, but you know, what, you know what's happening? They're not acting like adults, are they? They're acting like children. They're acting like a robot. What's that robot do? It's, by the way, who programmed the robot? The man, there was one guy on the store, and it was the manager, and he was in the, in the office running the computer. God says, I don't want robots. I want adults. I want people who genuinely participate in the, cre in the creation. But a problem developed here, iniquity. So he says, I got a plan. Five times he says, I will. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. I will sit also. I will ascend above. I will be like the Most High. Notice he doesn't say, I will be the Most High. He says, I will be like the Most High. And that's because the Most High is defined in Genesis 14 as the possessor of heaven and earth. What's he want to possess? Creation. How is he going to possess it? Through the government. Why? Because he knows that's how God's going to control and run everything is through the government. So what does he do? He comes in and he says, I'm going to cause the governmental structure to fall apart, to be weakened. What, is God, what does the adversary know? He knows that whoever possesses the heaven and earth is going to possess the whole deal. And I'm just going to get in there and I'm going to try to do what? Mess it up. So he does it. He uses a vehicle, the vain religious system, Baal worship. We saw it in the last two weeks. That's why we went there. Come over to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. I hope you see what's going on here because we'll get into this now. I struggle with trying to explain it out here because what happens is, is his goal is to take over the authority, the ownership of heaven and earth, to possess it. That's why in Genesis 1 verse 2, when he says that the earth was without form and void, it says, talks in language of war and judgment. That phrase, without form and void, is only found one other place in the scriptures. It's in Jeremiah, and it's in a chapter uh, Jeremiah 4, verse 23, and that whole chapter is about the second coming of the Lord and how he's going to just 
lay out the results of the, the, the battle of Armageddon. That's the word I was looking for. The second coming. And where he's going to just crush it all. And it's made without form. No form. No, it's useless. There's no structure to it. Void. There's nothing there. It's worthless. Well, that's not how he created it. One, one he, Genesis 1-1, he created it perfectly with form, with void, and then the fall of Lucifer happens, and then he wages a war on it. Because what has Lucifer done? He spun his tail, and the angelic realm fell for it. So much so that the higher echelon, according to in Daniel, Gabriel says, the only guys left is me and Michael. Everybody else is gone fallen. What did they do? They believed the lie. They thought they could be something. And yet, he just weakened them. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. So we're at the second coming here. Where the second coming has happened, he, the introduction of the kingdom is here. Verse 34, he, he's going to, verse 32, And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another. The, sheep divided the, sh- uh, the shepherd divided the sheep from the goats. The nations, this is not Israel, this is the Gentiles. He separates them out. Verse 34, Blessed then shall the king come unto them on his right hand. That will be the sheep. Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for, me, for you. From the foundation of the world, the, the, the sheep, the nations, the Gentiles that obey the Abrahamic covenant, which is what he describes in verse 35, 36, 37, 38, and 39, they are going to, they blessed Israel, they took care of Israel. That's why he says, when you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me, come on in, inherit the kingdom. They're going to literally walk in. At the same moment, there will be... Leaders in Israel, apostate Israel, and you know what they're doing? They're watching them go in, going, wait a minute, that's ours. And the Lord says, no. Verse 41, here's yours. He looks at the goats in verse 41. And the king said and answered unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of these, the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand. Now that's Gentiles. That's the goats. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Now watch. Prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, when the rebellion happened between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, you know how God stopped it? He created fire. He created the lake of fire. He created hell that stopped it. Because now the angel has a choice. Trust? Who are you going to trust in? Truth or error? You go error, you get that. And it stops. It stopped creation from falling. Now you have elect angels and fallen angels. Just as you have saved members and unsaved Come over to Revelation 12. You see, folks, what you have here is you have an insight into what's happening behind the realm. Who's pulling the strings here? What's going on? What the movement is? Why things are 
way they are because this is how God created them. The adversary falls, and now we have enmity in the creation. Now we have a war that's going to rage. Now we're going to have a battle that's going to take place. In Revelation 12, you start there in verse 7. Here's the beginning of the end of this. Verse 8, or I'm sorry, 12, 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Boy, that is fantastic. There's a war in heaven. The prophets say that the Lord Jehovah says, I'm going to dip my sword in blood in the heavens. I'm going to come out there. We're going to clean the heaven. Could you imagine being Isaiah right now going, what in the world is that all about? Because <laughs> he, he doesn't know. He's just told to write. Jeremiah comes on, picks up, and puts in some things. What is that about? And the Lord said, just write it was for somebody else. Just write. And what does John see? John sees this great war happen. And Michael comes in. The armies of God. In Acts 7, when Stephen looks up and he sees the Lord standing. But right before that, he says he sees the glory of God and the Lord standing. That glory of God is a picture of the armies of heaven are ready to come back and pour out wrath, ready to come back and reconcile everything, ready to come back and liberate. And then he, that's why, by the way, Stephen says, Lord, don't hold this to their account, because what does he know is coming? Wrath is coming. And they're not going to be able to live through it. They won't make it. In verse 8, and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore. Isaiah talks about the Lord taking the heavens as a scroll and rolling it up and shaking out the inhabitants. Could you imagine that? Shake them out. The adversary has polluted the heavens out there so much so that there's, he, God says, I don't need five of these, I just need one. Four gone. Okay. Literally reorganizing the governmental structure. The dragon. There's Satan and his angels. And what do they lose? They lose their place. They lose it. They're cast down to the earth. Verse 9, and the great dragon was cast out, and the devil, the, that old serpent called the devil. And Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Now the heavens are cleaned out. The heavens have been liberated. And now the kingdom of God is being established. The reign of God now is reestablished there in the heavens. The power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is reestablished in the heavens. That's why verse 12, he says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. And there's a period after them. Because who goes to the heavens? We do. We dwell in the heavenly places. That's our home. That's our dwelling. And now, there we are. The reconciliation process starts. The whole mess started with the war. One, 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 two. And guess where it's ending? In a war. And here we are. We're established. We're set down. We are a dwell in the heavens. 
verse 12, he goes on, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Uh Uh-oh. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Think about that. He knows he just has three and a half years left. Three years left. So who is he going to go after? The inhabitants of the earth. But who specifically? Israel. Because who is God going to use? Come back to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. Who's God going to use in the heavenly places? The church, the body of Christ. So what does he do to you and I? He knows he can't get us out of Christ. He knows he can't. But he can draw you away from learning who you are. He can draw you away from being that ambassador you're to be. He can draw you away and cause you not to function as who you're supposed to function. But then he's going to, then he's going to go at, but he loses. He wins if you give in to him and let him. But then he draws his attention, Deuteronomy 32, to the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 32 is the national anthem of Israel. They sing this song here, verse 7. Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee, thy elders and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. So there's Genesis 1 through 11 in one verse. What's the number of the children of Israel? 12. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. What's he going to do? He takes, he's the most high, verse 8. He possesses heaven and earth. And he takes some time and he divides out man. Because of the result of the Tower of Babel. And he comes over here and he divides them out. And from that moment all the way to Revelation 17 there, the culmination of the Antichrist, the adversary has been usurping and deceiving and milking away the kings of the earth. And that includes the nation of Israel. Verse 9, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. The Lord has given up. Come back to chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. The Lord gave up the Gentile. Romans 1, three times. Gave them up, gave them up, gave them up. And focused in on. Focused in on Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 tribes. Deuteronomy 4, verse number 19, just real quickly. Unless thou lift up thine eyes into heaven... Now the thou here is Israel. He just told them how what a great people they are because God is so nigh to them in verse 6, 7, 8. And how the Gentiles are going to sit there and worship them and because they have God so nigh to them. Verse 16, lest ye corrupt yourselves. You see, and make a what? Make a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl. What has happened to Israel? That 
satanic lie, that system that Baal worship has corrupted in. It gets in by Dan. We saw that. It gets made official uh, religion by King Ahab and old Jezebel. Okay? For 800 years, it's rolling and raining. And look at verse 19. Unless thou lift up thine eyes into heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even the hosts of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God had divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. You know who God gave over to worship the sun, the moon, the stars? He gave the nations over to do that, not Israel. And yet, what is Israel doing? They're right there with them. They're worshiping right along. They are in trouble. Come over with, come back with me to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Are you guys following along with what's happening here? Ephesians 5. I hope so. Ephesians 6, he talked, calls them the rulers of darkness. Rulers. Ruling. Those are administrative operations. They're ruling. They're reigning. They're in charge. By the way, he says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Do, you know, it's amazing I look, as you're finding Ephesians 5. When you think about how much goes on in the world today between people, and maybe you and somebody, but that, they're not your enemy. Who's the enemy? This guy. The guy we're talking about. The system we're talking about. Why? Because the guy who's arguing with you, he's just in the system. He's just doing what's natural to him. And you're sitting there going, wait a minute, what are you yelling at me for? You know, and are, what are you yelling at? But, but you're really not warring against him. You're worrying about who? The guy behind pulling the string. That's why Ephesians 6, when we get over there in a few years, a few months, and we talk about Satan and his strategies and stuff, He's using man to accomplish his end result. That's why Romans 12, we start Romans 12 in, in the first hour next week. He talks about what, how to handle your enemy. He's really not your enemy. You heap coals on fire and you, you give him water. You, if he's thirsty, you drink, you feed, hungry. Why? Because what are you after? You're after the guy's soul. The enemy... The enemy here, the adversary, he's pulling the strings. Well, you just don't go to my church, so I'm not going to talk to you. That's right, I don't go to your church. But you need to see this. <laughs> You're not upset with the guy going to church. I was talking to somebody, and they said, well, they enjoy their church. I'm like, I'm glad they enjoy their church. I'm glad they came and visited, but I'm glad they enjoy it. I have no beef with them. Who's, where's my beef? The system. And here's how you're going to identify it. Look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Look at verse 15. Seeing then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now notice that. You have to have some spiritual perception that comes to us from understanding what God's will is right now. Be filled with the Spirit. We've talked about this. You go down and you get you and then, and, and then into life. But back it up the other direction. 
Notice verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as what? Wise. Our walk is to be based on some wisdom that's given to us from the word of God rightly divided. Okay? Why? Redeeming the time because the days are what? Why are they evil? We got this guy out here, the adversary, and he's got a plan. He's the real deep stater. He's the original deep stater. And what's he doing? He's pulling strings to keep him in charge and to keep the word of God at bay. Okay? How do we know that? Verse 17. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but what? Understanding what the will of the Lord is. Don't be deceived by that vain religious system out there. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need it because, folks, it takes spiritual discernment to respond properly to the deception of, of the system out there. I heard a guy call it the shadow government. Now, he's talking about people. Well, here's the real shadow. Shadow, shadow, who's the shadow? Okay. Here's the real shadow government. And you know what it takes? It takes discernment. Come over to Isaiah 33. It takes discernment. It takes a perception. It takes an understanding. By the way, perception is the product of edification, of education. Perception is the product of intelligence. Perception is the product of being edified. And we have a supernatural ability because we have who? The mind of Christ. We have the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit to look at things and to say, you know what, that, what's really going on here is this. You think about the shootings. Okay? Horrible. Both. All, actually, three of them there was. Okay? Four. California. Texas. We had one here. Okay. You think about that. And I know you, you can go the political road. Go right ahead. Kill yourself. But why is it that way? It isn't the politicians. It isn't even the law of the land. It's what? It's evil. That's all it is. It's sin. It's evil. And I know what happens. Oh, you're just copping out. You're giving the gunman. No, it's evil. That's what it is. Because what is the ultimate thing? The battle between good and evil. Truth and lie. That's what we're talking about. Here's the truth. Here's the lie. But now what is the world focused in on? You see those yahoos over there? They had the Queen's thing going on, and they interviewed this guy. And they, he had, the, the reporters are so brilliant today, aren't they? They're just so wonderfully smart. And he goes, well, what do you think about the shootings in Texas? I don't understand why Americans have to have guns. I'm like, what does that have to do with the Queen? But what is it? Gin it up. Hey, do you know mon monkeypox is here, right? Watch out, monkeypox. And it's like, what? But yet, what, what does man do? Suck that stuff all in. So now we're over here, not with just mask on, but we got to have gloves because of monkeypox. I'm like, you guys, 
But when you look at that, what's really going on? That's the, it's, the, this, it's this truth versus the lie. It's that simple. Good versus evil. Now you found Isaiah 33, right? Look at verse 5. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. Here's Deuteronomy 4. And wisdom, now watch, and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. And strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now he's talking about the kingdom. Judgment and righteousness. And the ability here to perceive what's going on as it's connected to Israel. But what does he say in verse 6? Where do they get their stability? From wisdom and knowledge and their strength. So without wisdom and knowledge, guess what there is not in life? Stability. And I don't care who you are. Come over to Colossians 1. You can say, well, Rick, I know every verse. Baloney. Well, I don't know, you know, we're going to fight this. No, you're not, because it's wisdom and knowledge is what? Is where stability is. Do you know that without it, you have no stability? Colossians 1, verse 9. Look at Paul's prayer. For this cause, since the day, for, uh, for this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Where do we get our strength from today? What's verse 9 tell us? Be fill, being filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Hey, look, folks, our walk comes out of an understanding of what the will of the Lord is. What is God doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ, to do what? To be used to reclaim the heavenly places. To go in there, and when the time is right, to fill up the heavenly places. To be his agency to be his son. We are sons right now, identity-wise, but in reality, to be the sons, to be there. That's where our perception comes from. What do I, uh, listen, I'm not for hiding out and not knowing what's going on around you, okay? And I'm not for being upset or not being upset or this or that. I, you know, know what's happening, but you need to know what's happening with the perception, with the spiritual understanding of what's really going on. Good versus evil. Truth versus lie. That's where it's at. Because what happens when you get to looking around? Well, I belong to this group, or I belong to that. And you know what begins to happen? The perception comes off of what's going on to something that will one day just be dust. Come over to 1 Corinthians 1. You see, the goal here, folks, in this is in order to understand what's happening, there's a spiritual perception we are to have. 1 Corinthians 1. And that per spiritual perception is what's key to not being deceived, to not being moved away. Now, I know what happens. Well, Rick, I don't worry about all that. I don't, and that's great. 
and wonderful, and I'm glad you're there. Praise the Lord. But you interact with people who are there. See, I think about the young children next door, my guys. I'm talking to them, the littles, all the way up to the bigs. Perceiving what's really real. Not all this other. Because you know what? Listen, this is 22. In 24, there's going to be a new president. You know how I know? There's an election in 24. Duh. You know what's going to happen in 28? There's going to be a new one. You know what's going to happen in 32? I'll be dead and gone by then, but there's another one, right? What, what happens if the Lord tarries? What's going to happen in this country? It's going to get worse and worse. We know that. But it's just going to click as long as those election laws stay in play. Now, if they go away, something different. But that, you know what that is? That ain't real. What's real? The spiritual issues over here is what's real. All right? 1 Corinthians, 20, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 26. For ye see your calling. Uh, now, by the way, Paul just got done talking about the foolishness of the world and the foolishness of God, the wisdom of God, and the preaching of the cross. You know, the world looks at you and I to sit up here from 9.30 till 12.30, and you go, man, you guys are nuts. What a bunch of fools. And yet, no, we're not. You see? He just gets done back and forth. Then verse 26, he says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after... Now notice where the wise is. After the what? The flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. Isn't that interesting? Why wouldn't that be the case? Because what do the mighty and the noble and the wise all don't want to look like? Fools. And what are we? Well, we're fools for Christ's sake, aren't we? But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that... Whoa, look at that. You want to know what's real? Don't look at the big. You better be over here in the little. Now, what does the adversary say? What did he say to Eve? God knows something you don't know yet, and he's not telling you because he doesn't want, he wants to hold you down, man, put you under the thumb, control you. So what does she say? Well, I don't want that. I want to be somebody. She was somebody. Look at these verses. Look at what he does here. You look around. What does God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? Think about that. He took, he's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. I was reading a book about the influence of, of Christianity in the, in the second and third and fourth, fifth century. It's phenomenal. In Rome, in the first century in Rome, they had, a, they had a plague, an outbreak, an epidemic about every week, it seemed like. 
So much so that Caesar's house would take the sick and just lay them in the street to die. But do you know who came up and ministered to them? Believers did. Not Christians, believers. The Catholics stayed away from them. They're going to be sick. But you know who was up there? Bible believers. Our forefathers. And you know what they were doing? Tending to the sick in the street. You know why? Because they didn't see pandemic. They saw lost people dying and going to hell. The accounts are phenomenal. They don't get talked about a lot because that would do what with Christianity? Promote it. So we hide it. But what does God do? God says, I ain't worried about the big. I'm worried about here and the little. And let's go over here. What does he say in 2 Corinthians 4? We magnify the dying of the death of the Lord where? In our flesh every day, don't we? We put him on display. Folks, the issue here is the issue of spiritual. Come, you're in 1 Corinthians. Come over to 2 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 12. And we'll just stop here. 2 Corinthians 12. You see, folks, it takes spiritual perception based on the truth of God's word rightly divided in order to see what is real. Because what's going on in front of you isn't real. It's a pulling of the strings. It's the adversary come in and he's weakening the nations. He's got a system that looks. How many people do you guys know that go to a church and they gingerfleck, they do all the things that we saw talking about what is in modern day Roman Catholicism, but they're not Catholics, they're Protestants. They do the same thing. They just term it a little different. And yet you go talk to them and they go, you mean you go to a little church of about 70? And that's on a good Sunday? You mean you spend all day studying and you watch this idiot on YouTube and whatever, you know? What is this rightly dividing thing? And you know who they go? They don't come and study. They go and ask their preacher. And you know what their preacher says? Oh, that's an occult. Don't be a part of that. How many of you know? And what have they done? They've been. Now, they're saved people. Dying, going to heaven. Spend eternity in the heavenly places. They just haven't come to the knowledge of the truth. What have they been sucked into? The lie. And you sit there as a servant of the Lord, meek and gentle, and mo try to be meek and gentle. And you're screaming at them. And, you're, yeah, and they, they oppose themselves, and they have to recover themselves. Their conscience is seared with a hot iron. You know what gets through a seared hot conscience? Only one thing gets through, the Word of God rightly divided. 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul here, verse number 9, he's... Verse 8, this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's where it's at. Look at who you are. Not many noble, not many wise, not many strong. Why? Because where, where is the strength? Well, that's why Paul would say, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Folks, you have to be willing to appear to be foolish, to be right where you're supposed to be. 
Unfortunately, what do we want to appear to be? Wise, strong, unbroken. And yet he says, I don't work in that. I work over here. When you get to the point where you simply relax and function in who I am and who I've made you in my son, that takes spiritual perception. You want to understand what's really going on out there? You're not going to find it in a book other than the Word of God rightly divided. Now, we're going to, look, we're going to delve into some of that out there behind the scenes, if you will. But it starts here with an understanding of what God's doing. What is God doing today? He would have all men saved, form the church, the body of Christ, and then come to some understanding of the knowledge of the truth of an inheritance that he's given to you and the fact that he's going to use you to reestablish his governmental reign and control in the heavenly places. The conflict between the adversary and the Savior from Genesis 1-2 has been about who is going to run the creation, a throne. Satan says, I have a plan. The Lord says, I have one too. Satan says, my plan worships the creature more than the creator. To do that, the creature has to look what? Strong. God says, no, my plan is to, we're going to worship the creator. And when you do that, you'll be stronger than anything you've ever thought you would be. Because you're, you're where you're supposed to be. Okay? So the real deep state, the real shadow government, is this stuff. It isn't that stuff out there. They're just having their strings pulled by a source that they don't even understand anymore. There was a time that they did. You go back and read some of the old the stuff that the presidents used to say, whether you agree with them politically or not, and they understood. When you look at our forefathers who founded this country, I know everybody gets the Judeo-Christianity thing. I don't quitely ascribe uh, to that completely because they understood this stuff. It doesn't mean they were Judeo-Christianity. It just means they understood the Word of God. Okay, And I have my own reasons why I feel that way. Okay, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and to look into this and the fact that we can look into it. We can perceive it. We can understand it. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory and everything that we are said and do. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you very much.